Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, most of you know me now. <laughs> I'm Brian, a uh, friend of the church. Uh, I work at another church outside of Denver. know a bunch of people here. Uh, would you pray with me as we get rolling? Father, thank you for another day of life. Thank you, God, that you've got each one of us here. Uh, you've got each one of us here for a reason, whether we came on purpose or somebody dragged us here. Um, You've got something for us in this, in this gathering, and uh, we thank you for that. We ask that, um, that you'll be faithful to that. We know that you will, uh, but we ask that you will. We ask that you'll be at work in the midst of these things as we uh, sing together, as we commune and hang out together, as we open your word together. Uh, do a work. Do what only you can do. Help me to get out of the way. Help the worship leaders to get out of the way. Um, and we ask uh, that you will be glorified, that you will um, point us to your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you for this time. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, I, uh, I haven't gotten to preach the Old Testament a whole bunch recently. Uh, I've actually been doing a bunch of preaching uh, over at my church, but it's been mostly the New Testament, the way things have worked out. So I'm excited uh, to get to do this. And, and I do want to say... Um, I really, from a distance, I'm, I'm only here so often, uh, once every few months is how it works out, but I'm, I'm really thankful for this place. Uh, I've learned a lot from the people here. I've, I've grown a lot through my relationships with people here. Uh, so know that there's a kindred spirit uh, elsewhere, out and about, uh, that cares and is praying for this place. Um, I would include myself in that camp. But anyway... Um, uh, Dave once again uh, hung me out to dry <laughs> uh, in, in this sermon. Uh, I'm supposed to preach on 23 chapters, which is absurd, <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to do it. Uh, so we're, we're going to focus uh, a bit uh, on the, the Ten Commandments tonight. So uh, I don't know how much you know about the series that you guys are going through, but it's kind of a flyover. Of, of, uh, of a large amount of scripture and seeing how the, the whole of the Bible points actually to Jesus. And, and so that's, that, that's what he gave me. Uh, it's a very large amount of Exodus. Uh, and he actually just came out of uh, sharing with you guys about the parting of the Red Sea and Moses' song and that whole deal. But we're uh, the Ten Commandments this week. And, and i got to be honest with you, the last time I heard a sermon on the Ten Commandments, it was, it was a nightmare. I... Uh, I was in college, so it's been a minute. Uh, I was in college, and I was taking Greek, uh, Koine Greek, New Testament Greek, the original language that the New Testament was written in, and I had this professor. And every stereotype you have ever heard in your entire life of a monotone teacher was this guy. Uh, he was the epitome of literally one tone in every word, in every sentence, the whole time he taught as I'm learning a language I've never learned before. Uh, that's what, but, but here's the thing about it. It's interesting. Uh, when you sit under somebody's teaching style, even if it's profoundly boring, if you sit under their teaching style for long enough, it starts to click. Like your brain just rewires itself and all of a sudden it starts to make sense. And, and so I started to, you know, moderately in, enjoy his teaching because I came to find out he was, he was brilliant. If you could sift through the boring, you would take away a whole bunch of stuff. And, and so I came to find out through a friend that he was actually the pastor of a tiny little church in, in the backwoods of Pennsylvania. And I decided I was going to go check it out one Sunday. Except there was a problem. 
right beforehand, I think it was Saturday night before the Sunday morning service, my now wife and brother-in-law were like, hey, we want to go to church with you. I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, we want to go to church with you. They, they, she, my, my wife at the time was, was doing her own church uh, hunt. Uh, we, were, we, we were messing around. We were going to different places and, and trying to find what fit. And I knew, <laughs> I knew that, this, that it wasn't going to work, but I had already committed to my friend. I'd already decided to go. And, and so we went, and this guy... Uh, before even that, as you're driving back there, you're like, an exorcism definitely happened here. Like, it's just, it was just one of those deals. It's the back, 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 backwoods. Uh, and there were hardly any people there. And, uh, and, and he finally get up to, got up to preach, and I knew they didn't stand a chance, and they didn't. <laughs> uh, they, 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 they didn't hear a word he said. And so um, at, at the most subtle time that we could possibly find, we just cut our losses and left. Hopefully... This encounter with the Ten Commandments won't be quite uh, as dramatic uh, as my last one was. Uh, But anyway, the Ten Commandments are an interesting text uh, because they are one of the most profoundly misused and misunderstood uh, sections in the entire Bible. Um, They're right up there with some of the the go-tos, you know, judge not that you be not judged. One of the most misused texts in the whole Bible, um, out of Matthew 7, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, profoundly misused. You see it on coffee cups, and that's not what, what was meant. Um, and the Ten Commandments are kind of that way. They're probably hanging in your grandparents' house. Uh, or, you know, you may have seen them in various public settings, you know, throughout the country in courthouses or other random places. You'll see the Ten Commandments just hanging around. They're kind of ubiquitous, yet not everybody understands what they are or, more importantly, in a lot of ways, what they're trying to do. And so that's what we're going to try to answer uh, for just a few minutes tonight. Um, and it's, it's going to be good, I hope. Um, so last week, again, uh, Dave hit you with the, the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea and Moses' song. And then now I'm going to give you a brief flyover <laughs> of the large chunk that I'm supposed to hit. After that, after the parting of the Red Sea, God moves the people away from there. And they start to wander. And a whole bunch of stuff happens. And, and, and they start to complain because walking is hard. And, and they start to get hungry, and they start to get thirsty, and, and God continues to provide, but they continue to complain. And so God literally drops bread from heaven for them to eat, and, 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 and bursts water out of rocks for them to be able to drink. And this is all a part of the story that's going on. Uh, but I do want to make one observation about that before we continue. Uh, this is, meaning, uh, this is what we do, meaning all of us. Uh, we, we have a tendency to do exactly what the Israelites do. God just literally freed them from this uh, profound enslavement, this powerful dictator. It just freed them from it, took them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And within days, within days, they're like, yeah, but, but I'm hungry. And sure, it was hard work, but at least there was food. And this is exactly what we do um, as humans. Uh, in fact, if you, as you engage with the Old Testament, if you want to find a role in the Old Testament in all those stories that you and I fit into well, it's just the Israelites, generally. 
That's, that's me and that's you. That's, that's us. We do the same things to this very day. God will orchestrate a whole bunch of stuff in our lives. Relationships will change in His sovereignty. Job statuses will change. Housing situations will change. Whatever. You can pick whatever list of things God's done in your life. And yet, we will very quickly revert back to whatever sin made us comfortable, to whatever relationships we preferred, and so on. This is what we do. We are prone to that sort of behavior. Yet God, in His gentleness and His generosity, will continue to guide and provide. He'll do that for us. He did it with the Israelites. And so, this is where we kind of settle into, our, into some of the text uh, that Dave gave me so generously. Um, the first one is as God's leading these people, and they're starting to bicker and moan and, and, and groan about stuff, He takes them to Mount Sinai. It's this mountain. And at this place, he has things he wants to communicate to them, important things that he wants to communicate to his people. And I'm going to start not with the Ten Commandments. I'm going to start one chapter prior in Exodus 19, verse 2, which thankfully is up there. We're not going to go all the way to 16, though. We're just going to go to 6. Here's what it says. Uh, So this is the, the Israelites at Mount Sinai. It says, There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, which is just the Israelites, Thus you shall say to them and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. All right? So you've got all this stuff that just happened, all this action in Egypt. God takes them out of that. They start to complain. He continues to provide. Takes them to this place and gives them this really beautiful spiel. God is extending an invitation to the Israelites. He says, I've just rescued you. From Egypt, a place that you desperately wanted to leave, I want you. I want you in my family. I'm going to create a covenant between us. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to be faithful to you and love you and support you. And, and here's your role in this. Right? And that takes us, there's a couple of other stipulations that happen in chapter 19. But that takes us directly to the Ten Commandments. So we've got this beautiful picture of God extending his love, saying, hey, I want you, I've chosen you, I've protected you, I've brought you to this place, and here's, uh, here's what I'm hoping you'll choose into as well, all right? So this gets us to the Ten Commandments. Acts chapter 20, verse 1, we're going to read through uh, these Ten Commandments together. It says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall, first, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." 
Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Verse 12, this is a popular one. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay. We're going to try to answer three consequential questions as it pertains to these commandments. I'm not going to break down every commandment. Uh, that, 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 that previous nightmare situation I described to you was about just one of the commandments, right? You could have a sermon on every individual one of these. So I'm not going to break each one down. It would take far too long. We're going to answer three questions. Three questions. What are the Ten Commandments? What are they? Number two, what do they do? What do the Ten Commandments do? Number three, what does Jesus have to do with the Ten Commandments? Where's, where does Jesus fit into this picture? And that final question is important because that's the principal point of this sermon series. The claim that the leaders of this church are making, and I think they are rightly making, is that the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. It's a case that Jesus himself makes in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. He's walking with other apostles and he takes them back through Scripture and, and, and shows them all of the ways that that Scripture points to him. So that's the question. How do these commandments point to Jesus? All right? Three questions. Let's do it. First one. What are the Ten Commandments? What are they? I'm going to give you the answer and then I'll explain it. The Ten Commandments are what are called covenantal stipulations. Big words. Covenantal stipulations. That's what they are. Okay? To get to the bottom of that, though, we've got to understand what a covenant is. And the tricky part is that we don't really use covenant language in today's society very much. Right? Uh, it doesn't come up very often. And frankly, there's not a lot of consistent definitions of it if you read a bunch of commentators. There's different ideas on how to define a covenant. But a covenant in the Old Testament, a covenant, as, as we're going to define it in a second, is a lot like, key qualifier, it's a lot like a contract, though that's not really what it is. But as you think of a covenant right now, start there. Start with a contract, an agreement between people or, or persons, an agreement between several people, right? But rather than thinking about it like a business contract, think of a covenant more like marriage, Right? And that's one of the few places we still do talk about covenants is in the context of marriage because marriage is different than any other human institution and all married couples should scream amen at that point. It's just different. Marriage is a different deal than anything else that humans do. Um, and when you marry somebody in this culture, you voluntarily, so this is true for those of you who are married and have chosen into this, those of you who want to get married someday, when you get married, you voluntarily choose into 
an oath-bound, vow-bound, contractually-bound relationship that's designed to last for a lifetime, unlike anything else in, in, in all of society. Right? And then the vows that you take at a wedding reflect that. I've done quite a few weddings. I've got a few coming up this spring. And, and every couple has some version of this in their vow. Do you take this person to have and to hold, to love and to cherish from this day forward for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, till you're parted by death? And the marriages that make it say, I do. No, the ones that don't say I do end right there. That's, that's where the ceremony ends. But the vows in a wedding reflect this idea that we're getting at, which is of a covenant. A covenant, friends, is a relationship of deep, deep commitment. That's what it is. It's got contractual elements where it's between two people. There's an agreement. But it's a relationship of deep commitment, of deep abiding commitment. And that's true in marriage. That's true with what we see here. We see from what God told the Israelites in chapter 19 that he is in. He's he's put his cards on the table. God's in. He's chosen them. He wants them. He's into them. He, he, he's working to free them and gain them and pursue them. All of this you're seeing take place in the narrative up to this point. And then God literally says it. He says, I freed you from Egypt. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I'm in. I want you. That is covenant language. And he extends to the Israelites their end of this covenant. Here's what it looks like for you to commit to this relationship with me. Here's what it looks like for you to be in as I'm in. Here's what needs to take place. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So these commandments then that we read, these commandments are attachments to that relational commitment. They're attachments. That's the covenantal stipulations. That's the language we used at first. They're attachments to this relational commitment. And in fact, there's actually a lot more than ten of them. There's a lot more than ten. The Ten Commandments are the obvious ones. They're the ones that everybody knows. They're the first ones. They're the most glaring. But in the first five books of the Bible, there are 613. It's a lot, yeah, it's a lot more than ten. But, the, but these are the ones that are the, the, the most well-known. These commands are not about earning a place with God uh, so, you're, so you're not pissing God off anymore. That's not what it's really doing. Um, it's all about the story that God's writing through history. And God has chosen this group of people through whom he was going to bless the world and pursue other people. So they're invited to enter into this relationship and be a part of God's redemptive narrative. So that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're a part of this broader grouping of commandments that are attached to a relational commitment, a relational covenant with God and His chosen people. Right? That's what the Ten Commandments are. I know, some of that's technical. That's what the Ten Commandments are. Now, in many ways, more importantly, what do the Ten Commandments do? What do these things actually accomplish for people, for you? What what do these things accomplish? And there are three things. The Ten Commandments do three things. 
First, as we've already mentioned, these commands are at their most basic level about God's relationship to his children. So, these commands are given by God in order that his people may flourish in relationship with him. That's the, the, at their most basic, these commands exist so that you, so that the Israelites, but also so that you can flourish in your relationship with God. It sounds pretty obvious, but it's the truth. So if you today, if you're, I guess if you're like me, if you want to know God, regardless of what you brought into the room today, if you, if you want to know God and you want to deepen your relationship with him or start a relationship with him, in some ways, it's as simple as listening to what he says. In, in some ways, it is that simple. It's, uh, it's discerning the things that he tells you about yourself, about who he is, about what he can and does call you to, and walking in that. Not out of must, or, or not, not to impress him, or, or not to get him to do something for you, simply because he is who he says he is, which means he's worth it. And the, flo- the logic uh, flows quite naturally from there. If God is who he says he is, then he designed everything in existence, which means we were his idea. Which means you, you, you were God's idea. I was God's idea. So the thing, he knows how I work. He knows how I work better than I do. And he gives me these things, like the, like the Ten Commandments, to say, Hey, you, Brian, you want to function the way that I designed you to function? This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to walk in it. This is what it looks like to be in a relationship with me. And, of course, that's true. Because he designed us to worship. He designed us to be in relationship with him. So when we broke that... He's gently and lovingly giving us, essentially, clues, insights. Here's how you can have that relationship back. Here's how you can have me again. I know you don't want me, but here's what it looks like if you were to want me. It looks like these things. And uh, as, so I'm a Presbyterian, uh, which means you've got a fixation with John Calvin. And... Uh, John Calvin famously uh, has said that our, our hearts are idol factories, which is the truth. Right? If we're designed to worship God, but we broke that, we'll then take that desire to worship a whole bunch of different directions. We will worship. We're going to worship something. It's, that's, that's, that's non-negotiable. We just do it. It's in our nature. Uh, so in my life, I'm a popular candidate. Right? I like to worship myself. <laughs> Because I, li- I like myself. I, you know, I, I think I'm cool. I think I'm smart. I like my preferences better than most other people's. And so I will worship myself and the things that I want. And I'll, I'll orient my life around myself. Or, if I'm feeling generous, it won't be me. It'll be my wife. Right? It'll be somebody else in my life that I will orient my heart around their desires. The things that they want. Or I'll do it around concepts, my ambitions, the things that I want to do in this life, the accomplishments that I'm seeking. I'll worship those. I'll orient myself all the way toward those. So, 
Instead, instead of just allowing me to do that, God, in His generosity, gives me things like the Ten Commandments to say, here's how you're actually wired. Here's the point. Here's what it looks like. And that now it's holding a mirror up. Now I see myself for the truth. I see the fact that my heart is doing things that it shouldn't. It's heading in directions that are kind of uh, dark. And so that's where the memory verse uh, for this week comes in. Um, The first command that he gives us is really the foundation for all of them. It's Exodus 20, uh, verses 1 through 3. In the third verse, God says... You shall have no other gods before me. Right? There, there's that idol factory. My heart wants to worship a bunch of other things. It wants to worship me, other people, stuff, stuff that God gives. But God goes right at it. He holds that mirror up in front of my face and says, No, <laughs> that's not how you were designed to work. And it's, again, this is really the foundation for all of the other commands because if you look at any, other, any of the other commands, at their root is the idolatry of something. At their root is the idolatry of something else. So pick a random one. Um, you know, uh, you shall not murder, which is a generally accepted one across the world. You shall not murder. If you get to the place where you're murdering somebody else... It means you're worshiping something else. It means you're worshiping yourself and the things that you want in the world. It means you're worshiping justice as a concept. It means you are worshiping something else that got used or or messed with. You're, You're worshiping something else and it's driven you to this profoundly dark action of taking somebody else's life. You shall have no other gods before me as the foundation for the rest of them. And though uh, it is challenging to come to terms with this whole idea, um, it, it is beautiful because we can, you can know personally the Creator God of the universe. Because He's created for ways for you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you in relationship with Him because He loves you. Because He loves me. So it reveals the darkness inside of us, but He promises that He's worth it. That He wants to heal that. He wants to bring beauty there. So I don't know where you're at this evening. I don't know what you brought uh, into this room. Uh, Maybe you've got a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you don't know how you feel about God at all as a concept. Either way, the invitation is the same. God loves you, and He wants you in His family. Right? You're offered that same covenant that the Israelites are offered. It's, it's, it's changed, as we're going to describe here in a minute. It's changed a bit. But that covenant relationship, that, 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 that reflection of, hey, God loves you, He's pursuing you, He's doing things in your life, and He's inviting you into relationship with Him, that offer exists for every single person in here. So the question is, what are you going to do with that knowledge? You can reject it. You can reject God. But the case that Scripture makes, the case that God Himself makes, 
is that he's worth it. Okay? So that's the first thing. The first thing the Ten Commandments accomplish for you and for me is it will cultivate your relationship with the God of the universe. Second, the second thing that it accomplishes, that these commands accomplish, is they give us a guide to loving others, regardless of their background or their situation. That's the second thing that the Ten Commandments accomplish. And if you are a particularly astute person here tonight, and and I haven't bored you to death quite yet, if that's true for you, then you're going to pick up on something. Because you've noticed that the same thing. When Jesus was asked, what are the two most important commands? What did he say? Exactly. Love God, love others. You notice the first two things that the Ten Commandments accomplish. Love God, love others. That's really the beauty of the consistency that you see all throughout Scripture. That's what the Ten Commandments do. They cultivate a love for God and a love for others. So when God gave these to the Israelites... If they were, in fact, to choose into them, they would be deepening their relationship with God and they were going to be able to love each other well and love their neighbors well. And that's a part of what's going on with all... So not to forget just the 10, all 613. All 613 commands that we see in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all of those are about loving God and loving your neighbor. Right? So when God tells them to do these things, to try these things, to not eat these things, whatever it was, all of that was to point them to to, to God himself and to help them love others so that their neighbors, so that the other country, so that the other people around would see that and, and recognize their need for the same thing. Recognize there's something missing in the way that they're doing life. Because of how the Israelites are doing it. So, uh, so all of the, the, it's the same as today. The same sort of invitation is given to you today. You've got all of these things going on in culture. It was true for the Israelites. All sorts of other cultures and countries and tendencies and preferences. All sorts of stuff out there. And God says no. To love and to serve those people. To be in the right kind of relationship with those people. You've got to reject or or even rebel against those cultural tendencies. It's, It's over against those preferences and those things. He says, these are the things. These are the things. These Ten Commandments, these other commandments, these are the things that you're going to do. So that when those neighbors see you, when they interact with you, they'll be able to recognize their own need for me. That's what God was doing. He was inviting them to love their neighbors well. And so you see it. In the Ten Commandments, the first four are directly about the relationship with God. The, the, the next six, five through ten, are about their relationships with others. Love God and love others. And it's, it's, it still works for us today. If you abide by these... It's going to work itself out in, in your relationships, right? It, and some of it's intuitive, right? Your, your relationships are going to be ruined if you kill the people you're in a relationship with, right? Your relationships will be ruined if you have a tendency to lie. Your, your intimate relationships will be ruined 
if you lust, if you're pursuing infidelity. This is the, this is the, the truth about how God hardwired society. And it helps in our relationships with non-believers in a way that points them to their need for God. So, what do these Ten Commandments accomplish? First, love for God. They develop our love for God. Number two, they develop our love for others. They help us to love others. Number three, if you follow the 20 plus chapters that Dave gave me to preach, and you go through the whole thing, it's essentially Exodus 16 through 40. If you go through that whole deal, you'll start to notice a concerning pattern. And you can start right here with the Ten Commandments. Following the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, uh, Moses then lists out a handful of other commands about the tabernacle, some other kind of logistical commands about how God wants them to worship and, and, and so on. And you get to Exodus 32. So it's just a handful of chapters later. What happens? That is the uh, golden calf scene. So if you know anything, if you've got a background in church, you'll know this story. Almost immediately after, it's, it's uncanny. Almost immediately after, God tells them, Hey, have no other gods before me. Don't make any images to worship. You've got me. Almost immediately after that. They get together because Moses is up on the mountain, you know, learning things from God that he's going to share. They get together. They, they start to wonder what they're supposed to do. How are we supposed to relate with God? What are we, I don't know. And, and so they decide, okay, yeah, here's, here's an idea. Give me, let's, let's get all the jewelry. Let's get all of the other, uh, metals and, and especially the gold together and let's melt them and let's create something that we can then worship together collectively. And that's what they do. They, they melt all the metal and they create this golden calf that they begin to worship together. It's almost instantaneous that God gives them a pretty specific set of commands and they break it. And so that begins a pattern, a really pretty scary pattern of, uh, that, that matches throughout human history, of God communicating something, there being direct and aggressive disobedience. So then God gives them a new kind of list of things. Hey, okay, fine. That didn't work. Here, let's uh, this, do these things. And almost immediately, <laughs> they rebel against that. And this is essentially the story of the Torah. This is where the story starts to move. Is God gives loving commands saying, hey, here's how you can relate with me. Here's how you can love me. Here's how we can be in a relationship together. And at the same time, you'll be loving your neighbor. You'll be building healthy relationships. All of this will be happening if you'd listen. And they say, man, maybe not. Uh, Again and again and again. And this pattern becomes... The norm. God gives commands to draw people, and they reject his commands. That is the third thing that the Ten Commandments accomplish. Our need for more help is revealed. Okay, so that's number three. Our need for more help is revealed. We, of our own power, I, of my own power, cannot, cannot sustain a relationship with God or anybody else for that matter. 
of my own power, my own agency, I'm not able to do that. What we need is full-fledged heart transformation. We need a total makeover. We are not capable because of our brokenness. So, and it becomes even more obvious when Jesus comes on the scene a couple or a few thousand years later, and he starts to say things which we'll un- unpack in a minute. Um, but you've got to come to terms with that. No matter, you know, again, you may be bringing a decades-long relationship with Jesus in here. If so, praise God. Uh, and, and you may not be sure if you believe in God at all. But for your relationship with the God of the universe to take any next step, you've got to be aware of your need. Right? You've got to be aware that you're broken and you can't do it on your own. You don't have the power to do it. So, that brings us to the final question. What are the Ten Commandments? What do they do? Number three, what does Jesus have to do with the Ten Commandments? When Jesus, Jesus brings up these very laws a few thousand years later, and he starts to say things like, you have heard it said, don't murder. But I say, you shouldn't even hold anger in your heart toward another person. Right? And he does it with, he does it with all of them. He does it with lust. He does it with uh, quite a few of them where he says, this is what you've heard. This is the basics of the law to, to, to develop your relationship with God and others. But I say this. And he reveals that the commands were really about the heart. They were really about your and my heart and displaying the fact that we could never do these things well on our own. Right? Not even the 10, let alone the 613. We can't. So if you, if you want to have fun and reveal kind of how broken you are just to your own self, and you take the Ten Commands and you take them as heart issues, you'll realize you failed a strong majority in the last week. Right? And that's the truth. You, on a heart level, we can't sustain this ourselves. We can't do this. We need that holistic heart change. And that is precisely what Jesus says he came for. Right? That's, so when Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, what he's saying is, I am bringing the full accomplishment of what the law was pointing out. I am able to give you full heart change. I'm not just asking for your behavior to change. I can give you full, entire, top-to-bottom, soul-altering heart change. And that's, and that's what he did. Right? That's exactly what he did. The God of the universe came down as Jesus Christ, lived the kind of life that was about God and about others. He died the sort of death that we deserved to die so that we could absorb the life that he had and has. That's Christianity. Jesus did what we couldn't do so that we could have that. So that we could have relationship with Him. So that we could have heart change. He sends His Holy Spirit into us to give us holistic change. And again, there's a lot of... We're broken, right? And so... God grants us His Holy Spirit. It's a renewed power. It's a renewed set of desires. And yet, our flesh will still fight us. 
the world will still fight us. The devil will still fight us. Right? So for most of us, it's going to be a process by which this stuff takes place. But that's where Jesus fits in this. Because the, the Ten Commandments reveals, hey, <laughs> you can't do it. You don't have the ability in yourself to be in a relationship with God and to sustain good, healthy relationships with others. But through Christ, those things are possible. Through Christ and the power of His Spirit, those things become possible. All of a sudden, our lives become such that having no other gods before God is a possibility. It's a growing possibility in my heart to have Jesus at the center. Same with all the relational commands. Not holding anger in your heart towards other people becomes possible. Whereas before, it may have been a, a critical part of your experience. And all of these things become possible in the offer of Jesus Christ. So, again, as with the rest of Scripture, it points at the Savior. It points at our need. It reveals the fact that, hey, life is difficult, and you can't, of your own power, do this. You need Jesus Christ. And that He offers Himself to you. He wants you in the family. He wants you as a part of this community. And He promises that He's going to continue to be at work in you. Alright, so that's the Ten Commandments. I'm going to close in prayer. Dave's going to come up, um, and, and we're going to continue the service uh, by taking communion. Alright, let's, uh, let's bow. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You, God, that You love us. Thank You that You want better things for us than we want for ourselves, which is a hard truth. Thank You that you consistently point us back to the fact that we need you. Help us to be aware of our need. Help us to grow in awareness of our need. And then we ask that you'll fulfill that. We ask that you will come in and flood into our hearts your love, your desire, your changes. Because it can transform us totally from where we are right now. We need that. And we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.